Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. Our last podcast, we introduced this March Through Romans that we're going to be doing. We're going to be focusing on the Book of Romans for some time, perhaps with a couple interruptions to do another series or two. Maybe not. I guess we'll we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> but uh, today we're actually going to begin that March through the Book of Romans, and we're going to look at Romans 1, 1 through 17. So Doug, would you read that for us, and then we'll discuss it. Definitely. Romans 1, 1 1-17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Mark, would you start us off by talking about what you see in these first first few verses? Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, I mean, he, first of all, he identifies himself as a servant, so he's there to serve, and he serves Jesus Christ, or servant of Christ Jesus. He says also he's called to be an apostle. This role of apostle was really someone who had been with Christ, who had seen Christ's work, and who therefore has the power and the authority to proclaim the gospel. And so, um, you got something with that, Doug? Yeah, Jerry Bridges talks about Romans 1-1, just with the question of how do we identify ourselves in general. And here Paul's calling himself a servant first. You would think, man, he's an apostle. He's seen Christ come to him after Christ's resurrection. He's doing all these amazing things. But his primary identification is I'm a servant called to. And what he's called to is astounding. I think even just for all of us to see our primary identity is we're a servant 
and right now I'm called to campus ministry, but that's not who I am. I'm foremost a servant of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And Paul was here set apart for the gospel of God. And so one of the things that's really interesting about Romans is it's not as though the rest of the Bible happens and then Romans happens and then it's, oh, great, now we have the gospel. Um, Romans is the New Testament after Christ has come. But that way he actually grounds it in verse 2. He says that he set apart for the gospel of God in verse 1. Then he said that this gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son David, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. But the significant, one of the significant things I see there is that this was a gospel that was promised beforehand through the prophets. And you're going to see this actually as you go through the book of Romans, that Paul is continually going to go back and he's going to quote the Old Testament. He's going to quote the prophets to show that the gospel message is born out of the promise of the prophets, is the hope of the prophets. So that's one really encouraging thing is that the book of Romans is not just here's the New Testament, here's the gospel now, but this is a revelation of God's gospel message from beginning. And that's why you can see Romans as a lens to see all of scripture, because it's not as though Romans is just picking up one part of the story, but it's picking up, um, or it's not as though it's interrupting the story and bringing about something new, but it's fulfilling the story. It's tying together the revelation of God and his gospel all together in Christ. And so it becomes a lens through which you can see the scriptures. And the New Testament, as a lens to the scripture, has much clearer what we call revelation of God. There's much clearer things that we know as we read the New Testament, as we read letters of Paul, as we read about Christ and his coming that we know about the whole of scripture because God's revelation is progressive. It grows. And in Romans, we have deep revelation of the gospel promised by the prophets, which Paul was set apart for. And that's where it begins. So if someone would say the Old Testament is just how God used to act and the New Testament is how God acts now, it's almost like Paul could say, wait, did you read what I wrote in Romans? Or yeah. the rest of his letters. Now this isn't some new disconnected thing, but it's in accordance with what God has promised, in accordance with how God has acted all along. Yeah. Greg, what, what do you see in here? Kind of building right on that point in Romans 1, 5. I think this is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And... Huh. I think it summarizes a lot of the book of Romans, but also just the purpose for our existence. And it talks about how through Christ we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. And mm-hmm. it kind of talks about the whole purpose of the gospel. It says we receive the grace of God, which is the unmerited favor of God. And we've received this message of the gospel. And But it's not just an end in itself, it actually accomplishes something, and it's tied into God's greater eternal purposes of bringing himself glory mm-hmm. among all nations and people groups. And so God's given his grace so that as his grace goes forward, as it moves from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, that people would receive the gospel, that they'd be brought to God, they'd be reconciled to God, and then their lives would be transformed. And as part mm-hmm. of that, 
part of the process is transformation and that transformation brings about glory for God's name as well and so it's not just saving but it's the transformation that happens in light of being saved and it's a process and this whole process brings God glory and so as Christians we have this clear calling to spread the message of the gospel to proclaim the grace of God but then as that message takes roots root in lives that creates transformation that creates worship and praise to the name of God everywhere and so mm-hmm. that's what's happening on earth is the gospel is going forward lives are being changed God's being glorified God's being praised and his greatness is being made known and if you take out or separate any of those mm-hmm. parts of it you're going to miss something so I think this is a good thesis kind of for the book in a lot of ways yeah because that phrase the obedience of faith almost sounds strange in some ways but fitting in with what you're saying i think is really helpful so you're tying that obedience of faith to being transformed by this Mm. gospel is that what you're saying yeah i think it's kind of all one and the same and the obedience of faith comes as a result of the receiving the grace Mm. Mm. i love i love just the way it ties the old testament to there if you have the distinct hope of the prophets in Christ descended from David, the great king of Israel. They're waiting this Davidic king. And Paul is here saying he is the hope of the prophets. The Old Testament scriptures are pointing to him. He is the great king to sit on the throne of David. And now we're bringing this gospel to all the nations, the whole world. And I think like that idea of we're bringing about the obedience of faith among all the nations, including you yeah who he's writing to his audience called to belong to jesus christ that idea of all nations is going to be consistently showing up in the book of romans with jews and gentiles but then especially at the end in romans 15 as paul is wanting to take the gospel to the ends of the world and he's wanting the roman church to help support him in taking the gospel to spain that all nations theme is going to be picked up again. And in some ways, Romans is a book about the gospel that leads to missions because mm-hmm. he's wanting the gospel to go to all nations. What gospel? He's going to lay it out. But a lot of the Paul's reason for writing this gospel is so that the Roman church would be encouraged and also that they could take this gospel to the ends of the world. Yeah. Um, Doug, could you give us some insight into the genre of the book of Romans? Because each passage of scripture has a different genre, Mm -hmm. and this is a letter. So as we read Romans, how does the fact that it's a letter factor into how we read it? We definitely want to realize that it is a letter written to a specific church that's facing specific issues. Because Romans is written, and as a part of scripture useful to the whole of the church in every location for all of time, but it's also going to address issues that are relevant to that church, issues of the relationship between Jew and Gentile and eating vegetables and different things like that that we may not be thinking about as much now, but realizing this is a letter to people. But then the question is, is this letter actually relevant to the whole church for the gospel? Because sometimes in academic circles, people try and discuss what's the purpose of this, who is it for, who is it not for. But one of the things that's helpful in even addressing that question is realizing that Romans 1, 1 to 15 follows the format 
of letters in the ancient world. So there's a lot of different things that are going on. So even this greeting that Paul does here is pretty similar to how he starts his other letters. This affirmation of his audience in Romans 1, 8 to 9, the longing to see them, explaining why he's written the letter. All of those things fit traditional formats of letters. And my class on Acts and Romans discuss that. And in some ways it's a lot of information, but the significant thing for us, and that this follows a traditional letter, is that in the traditional letters, there was a spot where they had what was called a disclosure formula. And the disclosure formula shares the purpose of the letter. And here, the disclosure formula exists in verse 11. So verse 11, Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So here, as Paul begins to say, what is the purpose for my writing? There's the spiritual gift that I want to impart to you to strengthen you. And so what is the spiritual gift? The spiritual gift that he's giving him is his letter. Because he's wanting, and this letter includes the whole of the gospel. In verse 15, Paul says, I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. But we're seeing he's not able to go and physically be present. So instead, he's sending this letter in his place. And in the ancient world, sometimes a letter written from a person would serve as a stand-in for their presence. We see here Paul clearly still wants to be physically present. But since he can't do that, he's sending them this letter in his place to strengthen them by his gospel. So he's going to lay out the gospel in this letter that he wishes he could tell them in person, and that eventually Paul will go to Rome, but as a prisoner, and he will get to actually share in person. We don't actually know if he ever gets to Spain, which is his original goal of having the Roman church help him, but now he's at a spot where he can't yet be with them. So instead of being with them, preaching the gospel to them in person, he's going to send them this letter that shares the gospel with them to strengthen them. And I think that's helpful for us to realize, yes, this is a letter, but also we're getting in this letter Paul's gospel that he preaches. So some of these distinctions are these debates that can exist of, is this just a letter? Is this a gospel that's relevant for all of us? We, sometimes we may not think about that question, but even in the format of a traditional letter, Paul is letting us know this is his gospel that he preaches to the Gentiles so that they might come in, and he's sending it to Rome. And so for us, it allows us to know this gospel, this letter that Paul is giving to the Romans actually is relevant directly to us. Paul is intending to lay out the gospel. Mm -hmm. He also has the purpose of encouraging the Roman church to send him to Spain, but we can also realize he is intending to lay out the fullness of the gospel, which is probably why this book, this letter, has been so significant in the history of the church, because it actually is a full, amazing picture of the gospel, which is actually Paul's intention. Hmm. So I just took... A decent amount of time to explain that this is a letter that gives Paul's version of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 to 17, many people have called this a thesis for the book. So maybe, Greg, would you read those couple of verses, and then we'll talk about what we see in Romans 1, 16 to 17? Yeah, Romans 1, 16 through 17 says, 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul here is kind of just describing what the gospel is. And there's a couple of interesting phrases. And maybe I'll let you all unpack the first one of the power of God for salvation. But I really like in 17 where it says, it's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And so mm-hmm. it's righteousness is right standing with God. It's essentially being declared innocent before God, not guilty mm-hmm. of our sins. And what I think is fascinating is that it says we've been given this from faith. We receive right standing with God from faith, but also it says it's for faith. And that's what we were talking about earlier. It's this gospel doesn't just end. It's not just a transaction that happens that has no impact on our lives, but it actually changes us and it brings something about. And there's a result when we've received this righteousness from God. And so do you guys want to talk a little bit more on that and how you see that in these verses? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool how he says, to prove that, Greg, too, he goes, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he's saying, the way you live is by faith, like you're saying. And he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. And so he's, again, he's going to an Old Testament prophet. He's saying, the righteous shall live by faith. This is what Habakkuk told us. Hmm. This is what the gospel tells us. Um, the righteous shall live by faith. The whole of the Christian life is faith. Yeah. And Romans 1.17 is a verse that was significant to Martin Luther, originally because he hated this verse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hated And not only he hated this verse, but he hated the God behind the verse. Because he saw this statement, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he kept seeing, God is demanding me to be perfectly righteous. And I cannot do it. And Martin Luther had such an intense conscience. He would be as holy as he possibly could, but he constantly felt convicted. He confessed his sins over and over and over again. And he began to despise God because God was demanding of righteousness of him that it was not possible for him to fulfill. But then as he continued to study the book of Romans, and Romans 1.17, he realized This righteousness that God demands of me is the righteousness that he actually provides. Mm. And he began to actually love God. He said it was almost like being born for the first time to see that the righteousness that God demands is the righteousness that he provides. And out of that, we live by faith. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just this idea that righteousness is actually from God, from faith, as you were saying, Greg, but then it leads us to live by faith. Um, also leads into the question of what does faith even mean? Because sometimes we can think about it as just, I confessed that I believe in Jesus at summer camp, and now I'm good. But as you were saying earlier, Greg, that's not really what we see here. As you were saying, Mark, it's not even what we see in the Old Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. It's not just one confession of something that happened but a continual reality in our lives. And one of the things that's interesting about faith is the Greek word is pistis. And that word was on some of the Roman coins. 
and the Roman coins of Pisces showed two hands grasping. So there's a woman, Teresa Morgan, who's a professor, and she wrote a whole book on the idea of what does it mean to have faith in the culture of the Jews at that time. And her point is it's not simply assenting to theological truths. For us, we, we do agree agreeing to theological truths of the Bible is necessary, but that's not all that faith is. But I think that word picture of two hands grasping one another as a picture of faith is really helpful. It helps us to see our faith is not just in some action that's happened. It's not just in this declaration that we're right before God. Our faith is in God himself. Our faith is in a person of Christ. And our faith is a relationship with him, whereas we hold on to his hand, and even more significantly, he holds on to us. And that that grasp doesn't go away through the rest of our lives, but instead we receive this righteousness by faith, and then we live out this faith. And I think that is kind of a cool picture that I don't want to see my relationship with God as just, okay, I agree that these things are true, but a grasping of his hand as he leads me throughout the whole of my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's the power of God for salvation. Good, you mentioned that earlier, and that the gospel enables us it empowers us to live and it empowers us like you're saying to to live out that faith Mm -hmm. and as we go through romans too we'll see such a clear rebellion of humanity and then the extended hand of god towards us yeah and that's what's going to be shown is our rebellion our rebellion our rebellion we get to the end of chapter three the hand of god extended towards us jesus christ reached out to towards us then I mean, as you go through, you'll see, I mean, all sorts of things of us being this, in this spot of just hopelessness, death, and God reaching and grabbing to us. And then in response, we firmly grasp, we respond, we live out that salvation. Mm-hmm. And we'll see, I mean, really, it is the power of God from beginning to end, all of it grace, all of it mercy, none of it deserved. God coming to us when we're at our worst, reaching out his hand, even giving us the strength to grip his hand. Yeah. But then we absolutely hold on and we live it out and we seek and pursue him. And the whole of the Christian life is a blessing. And it's a blessing of living out true and genuine faith. And that's what we're going to be seeing as we go through this book. Mark, I think what you're just saying there is really good. And it also contrasts a misunderstanding that I used to have of Romans one sixteen. Because I used to think of salvation and being saved as just talking about conversion. Mm -hmm. So I used to read Romans 16 and think, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for conversion to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I use this as an evangelism verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because if I preach the gospel, God has the power to convert people to follow Jesus. And that is true. That is a part of salvation. But to realize that salvation here is not just talking about conversion. Sometimes a common question is asked is, are you saved in the United States? And that's a good question. But I began to think of being saved as just being converted. But we're going to see the way that Paul uses salvation in Romans is not just about conversion, but about the whole of the Christian life and ultimately about being saved from the wrath of God on Judgment Day. So Romans 5, 9, and 10, 
Paul says, since therefore we have not been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So here he's saying, if we're justified now, of course we're going to be saved on judgment day. But 13.11 says salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And in some ways that's an odd verse, because if salvation means conversion, how could it be nearer to me now than when I was first converted, believed? But Paul's not saying salvation is conversion. He's saying the salvation that he's talking about is from the wrath of God on judgment day as we enter into God's presence forever. So then if Romans 1.16 is saying the gospel is the power of God for salvation, it helps us to realize that it's not just the power to be converted. It's not just the power to enter the kingdom. It certainly is that, but it's also the power of God to sustain us throughout the whole of the Christian life, all the way until we reach his ultimate kingdom forever. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's from, it's faith from the beginning, faith to the end, mm-hmm. and it's all the grace of God. And that's what we're going to see through the book of Romans. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.